Welcome to today's Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Today we have a special duo today. We have the legend himself, Bruce Plant, with his son Derek, who's working his way into legendary status as well. We'll talk about each of their paths uh, individually, and then we'll talk about some stuff that compare and contrast uh, them as father and son as well. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love. Oh, is Johnny a Cash. Thing. <laughs> and it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, we definitely know we have a legend in our hands. We don't even get the show started, and he's already rocking the microphone. Good afternoon, Mr. Plant. How are you doing today? <laughs> Very good. Good good, good uh, choice of music there. Yeah, I love uh, Johnny Cash, and apparently you do too. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, Derek didn't get to hear it. I had to have the headset on. How are you doing today, Derek? I'm doing great. Thanks for having us. Uh, well, thank you for having me at your house. We're here. Uh, we're lucky your son and Bruce's grandson, Zam, was the winner of the YHH Bantam Player of the Year. So, special occasion, we come up here. We're not going to just come up here for a five-minute award. We're going to get a Bruce Derek podcast. So, uh, it should be fun. We're going to have some fun times here today. Okay, sounds good. Hopefully, we can keep uh, Bruce from uh, swearing. That's our goal, right, Derek? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he asked if it was okay, and I said, it's okay, but I don't think he's going to do it. So, uh, let's just get rolling here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit of bio, biographical first. We'll start with uh, the, the eldest statesman, Bruce. Get to you, Derek, in just a second, and then we'll go, go into some questions. Uh, Bruce, you grew up in uh, Cloquet. What was it like growing up in Cloquet? What was it in the 60s when you were growing up? What was the what was the what was the lifestyle in Cloquet growing up? Well, it was a working man's town, it was a mill town. There were four mills and that kind of thing going on. So, all, you know, all the kids uh, was still back almost to that point where the parents kicked you out of the house. You know, get the hell outside. So you go outside and uh, you, know, you got a lot of neighborhood buddies and it's just like you see in the movies, man. I was you did all these weird things and and uh, I had a great friends and great buddies and growing up in Cloquet in the sixties was awesome they were still playing hockey outdoors they hadn't built the barn yet had they in the 60s oh we were outside yeah we were outside playing and uh and uh we played uh even our senior year we played outside so you know uh four games i guess it was but the rest of them were all in uh, the old curling club okay and then my senior year they had the deck so we started playing our games in the deck Kind of like a city conference kind of games, wasn't it? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We only played, I think, 18 games then at that point of the high school. And then after, so I'm guessing you played baseball too because you're also, besides a high school hockey coach, you're a high school baseball coach. Did you play football too in the fall? Uh, I did when I was a young guy, but I quit when I was older. During the fall, I did the hunting thing and uh, fishing thing, so I, I couldn't give that up for nothing, so. All right. Uh, you went on, you played, you were a goaltender in, in hockey. You played goalie. Did you, how many years of hockey? Did you play hockey at UW Superior? Yes. Two years. Okay. And uh, I had to give that up too because of money. You know, didn't have enough money to keep going to school. So it was either play hockey and not go to school second semester or work at the mill and make some money so I can go go to school year it was funny before the show we we go well do you graduated in 1973 from superior did you graduate high school in 69 no i graduated in 67 it took you a while 
that's not as common today. It's pretty common. You go for four years. It's you're on again, off again. Was that uh, pretty common for not just you, but some of your buddies and peers? Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. We didn't have the money to, a lot of times to pay for school. So, and, and school was cheap then too. It wasn't that much money, but, but uh, kind of what, another thing that happened to me is that first year I came into school on probation because I was a screw off in high school, and so then <laughs> when I got there, my uh, my first year I was scared I was going to fail because my junior English teacher told me, don't even bother going to college. So, what a great role <laughs> yeah, model, huh? Yeah, she's, she goes, don't even bother. You're not, the, you're not the college material. So anyways, I did go, and I was scared to death. So I, I was on the dean's list after my first year. That was pretty cool. And I proved that I could do it. And, of course, then my sophomore year, my hockey coach had told me I should be playing ping pong. Play some more ping pong so you can get a little quicker and stuff for playing goalie. And right. So I did that, but the problem was, like anything else I do, it was addiction. So I ended up uh, playing ping pong every day all day and i quit going to classes and stuff so i was on probation again after the, my stop it's kind of a roller coaster wasn't yeah, it yeah well yeah you know back in the day that was kind of how it was when i was young but yeah anyways uh i i figured it all out and uh, ended up graduating in 73 and don't regret it one bit i had a lot of great friends in college so after college, you did the, the normal thing, started a family, uh, and all the while you were coaching in, in back in Cloquet, raising a family and and doing some teaching too. Yep, yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did. I went to school. My my wife was was working, and then uh, I would take pick up the kids, and uh, when I got out of school, and, and would do that for a few years. Eventually, I graduated from college and uh, and started a family, and I got a teaching job in Cloquet, which was. Very nice. Kind of a dream come true in it a way. It was a dream come true. My whole goal was to be. Did you uh, ever go back and visit the guidance counselor and show that you actually made something yourself? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. My English teacher, she was fine. It was, it was fine. But anyways, I my goal was to be a head high school coach in Cloquet someday and that kind of thing. You know, you're young and you're got all that in your mind so we're gonna get to that story in a little bit let me switch the gears over here to Derek Derek uh you uh born and bred cloquet uh with, with your dad here um talk about your youth career um the, when was the barn built you played in the barn obviously and I'm, I'm guessing at some point you got a chance to watch Corey Millen and some of those great uh cloquet teams as a youngster yeah for sure uh I mean the barn the, bar, the barn was always there you know right. it, was born, it was built before I was born I believe and um, so I just grew up knowing the barn. It's the only thing I knew. And the chain link fence, that's where I learned how to not put my tongue on the fence. And, you know, everybody's got that moment in their life. But, yeah, watching Corey Millen, my cousin Doug Plant was a, was a great influence. He was a huge hard worker, and I always wanted to be like my cousin Doug. And Corey Millen was amazing. Is that just met out here today? Uh, yeah, I was his son. Okay. It's a son. Oh, it's yeah, a son. Yeah. All right, great. So, um, yeah, so watching that group of guys, I think there was almost seven or eight Division One guys in that team with Corey Millen. And, my cousin Doug, so that was an unbelievable team to watch, and just the, the work ethic and the way the way Cloquet was playing hockey, and the, yeah, it was quite the culture to grow up in. So I told you guys this before the show. I I was up at the uh, the newer rink, uh, whatever they call it, the the credit union rink, and I decided to take a quick step over to the barn, and I still can't imagine how small that place is. Could pack all those players in to go see Corey Millen play, or to see you play, or or Jamie play in those days. Tell me about how packed it was, and what your vivid memories of that was. Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's amazing. I mean, I just, when I go back in there now, I still look at it and go, wow. Because when, when I was growing up, it didn't seem that small, right? It, just, it is what it was. It was. It was either that or the deck. Those are the only two comparisons, really. And, right. and we never liked the deck because the deck was always so hot. So we loved our little barn, and everybody talked about the barn. But it was <clears throat> freaking cold in there. 
Um, but we loved it, you know, and we knew that, you know, the biggest games that we had in there were always Duluth East games. That was our kind of our biggest rival, and people were literally hanging over over the glass because the glass is really short, and uh, people are like almost up on the. You've seen the 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 pillars that hold the rink up. Yeah, people are almost sitting on those, not not over the rink necessarily, but anywhere you could find a spot, you know, five six rows deep. It was it was amazing, and it was loud. And the one thing they had was a siren too. They still have that siren in there, and. They, actually have one in Hermantown now too but the siren would go every time we scored and it would always just rev that thing even longer and longer when it was Duluth East right anytime you scored <laughs> so it was just it was great I had an experience <laughs> as a kid we uh played uh, at Southwest we would go up and play Grand Rapids and Greenway and Greenway had a siren and it was green too so it was just every time they scored it just seemed like it just got louder and louder. with every goal it's like let's okay let's do it a little bit longer <laughs> and annoy the opponent just a little bit more so yeah I know what you're talking about all right so then you walk through you have a, a pretty good high school career don't make it to state but your college career you uh basically would be a, would have been a hobie baker finalist had a great college career 90 plus points in your senior year <laughs> and you beat uh get to the the regional final and lose to lake state walk through your college years what your what your takeaways for were playing college hockey especially in your own backyard in, in duluth well growing up you know you got to watch those big teams in 85 with uh, you know watson and, and curvers and and McIver and those guys and just some amazing teams so kind of implants in you and then you know a chance to go there um I guess as a, I, I was really small so I, I guess you kind of start there it's wiry seems, someone told yeah, me I, I suppose wiry but I was you know I was still five foot one in 10th grade so I mean I you know by the time I graduated high school I was five nine and everybody around the area was just like well he's never going to be able to play you know so my whole thought was I just had to go prove myself to play and then Luckily, my my first year there, I I played pretty well. And Sandy Smith, who was the captain, he I think From he Rainer. went to certain said, you know, I want this guy on my line, and that really helped because he kind of took me under his wing, and I got to play with him. And in our that beginning of that freshman year went really well. We were number one in the nation halfway through the season, and then it didn't turn out so well at the end. But right. that was my that was my inclination into it, and learned a lot, and just being part of that group, and you know, cert took great care of me and I got to play with my other cousin Stu at that time which was really great and kind of fun to get the chance to play with him because I didn't play with him growing up he was always right. a bit older he played some juniors so I was able to play with him and then Sean Podine was there at the time he was one of our other captains and so it was a good good experience and then you know to to kind of go through that we had a couple tough years uh you know there was some guys that didn't always jive so it was a yeah. couple of years in there where it was a little bit of a battle team-wise so it wasn't as much fun it was still fun in general sense, but when you look back now, but then as a senior, uh, the junior year was better, and then as a senior, like it was a team that kind of just gelled. Everybody just enjoyed being together and being around each other. And um, we we lost one game at home, and it was an overtime to Denver uh, the whole season. So it was kind of like a, one of those fun, real good seasons. Great I ride. think our power play we had uh, we had John Roloff who had played for Boston. We had uh, Brett Howard ended up playing Nashville and Edmonton. We had Marinucci who played some in LA and. We played with in uh, Rusty Fitzgerald, who played in Pittsburgh. So all five of us, we had a, you know, it was a fun power play. That's where we got a lot of our points, obviously. And just a really fun team. The guys there were, were a blast. So it's a great experience. I'm guessing that you took a lot of, if you just brought up Pose, and I know that Sean Pody and you guys coached in the brick together and, and played world championships mm -hmm. together. I mean, I'm learning a lot in these podcasts. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my gosh, they knew each other. Yeah, right. They were on this team together. And it's, yeah. it's fun to learn that. But I'm sure there's not just Pods, but I'm sure you have a lot of lifelong friendships just out of the UMD years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, Craig Caracas does the games now for, for UMD. He was one of my roommates for three years. Joe Biondi, who was son Blake. Yep. I was Mr. Hockey this year. He was my roommate all four years of college. Um, 
so yeah, those guys are still around here. Brett Howard's still around the area. Roloff's still around the area. I see these guys all the time, and so it's it, it really built lifelong. We still have those memories of being freshmen together in college and doing all the great crazy goofy stuff you did. But uh, it was a great bonding time. I think I don't know if the story goes that you were the Biondis were involved with getting you and Christy, your wife. Connected, or you and Christy were involved in getting the Bionis. I Which one was? Oh, uh, they were know. definitely connected before we ever met them. They, oh, that's they, right, because they, they were they, from they were World, World together. Yeah, that's right, they were for sure. So, right, right. and then Christy was roommates with Kelly Marvin, Car- Kelly Biondi now. Um, yeah, for all four she, years she was there, they played basketball together. So, they they'll take credit. You know, if you talk to Cert and uh, Ken and Strummy, the basketball coach, they'll they'll take credit too. So, you know, I, I guess we were meant to be. Oh, that's good. That's a good story. <laughs> so, uh, we'll go a little bit forward. Uh, I, I got a quick. Pro story for you. Obviously, you, you played in the World Championships too, and there's there's just, just a lot of great uh, hockey stories with you. But the one that just jumps out at me while doing research is uh, your Stanley Cup year. You win the Stanley Cup with the Dallas Stars, but you get traded <laughs> by the Buffalo Sabers. I still couldn't believe. It. I had to like double check. I'm like, I sure that's right. Yes, it's right. The same year you get traded from the Sabers, who you're with for six years trades you to Dallas and you win this cup and you beat the Sabres in a very <laughs> exciting Stanley Cup finals. Yeah, right, for sure. This seems like some things just never go smoothly, right? Or they never go the way the normal person right. would have it happen. So anyway, it, it turned out really good for me in the end because I was on a, the winning team, but it was really a weird situation. You know, the the last time I had talked to Lindy Ruff was, <laughs> you know, hopefully we meet you in the Stanley Cup final because – you know, obviously, it's exactly the, words you said. Yeah, then. right. And I can I can still see it in the embassy suites in New Jersey because I was, we were in New Jersey that day when I got traded. Um, so grabbing your bags and doing all this stuff and having the last conversation and that was the last thing I said to, before I went down the elevator. Um, but yeah, it was crazy. Then then the the whole the whole series was really crazy because those are my buddies. Those are the guys I I lived with and I I played with for six years. You know, I mean, you think you get bonds four years of college. Well, you get kind of the same bonds when you have six years of playing together in pro hockey and. And then the you know the, the disappointment on their faces and the crowd and the whole thing and then doing it They're it was in, in it, and it was in Buffalo's rink yeah. where you know now it's a new rink too we played in the odd my first two or three years and then we moved over to the new rink and had one of my best seasons in that new rink and and to do it all there in that rink was pretty surreal right and then so you have kind of like a oh this is a great feeling but it's kind of a weird place to have this great feeling and the handshake line must yeah have been handshake strange. line and just carry you know when I got my chance to carry the cup around it was a little Weird. Sheepish a little bit. I mean, I was so fired up, of course. It's like a weird feeling in itself. And then, like, you're like, oh, I'm on the wrong team. Or, yeah. you know, but so, yeah, good experience. So I got a bunch of buddies that helped me with some questions. Uh, and one of the questions, the guy says, hey, Derek, ask Derek if he realizes that every kid in the Duluth area idolized you. And he and I, and I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, well, I just remember kids with with Derek Plant Buffalo Sabre jerseys all over the rink. Did you realize that? <laughs> no, I didn't really realize that. No, I oh. I don't have that huge of an opinion on myself, I guess. I know. <laughs> I, it's just weird to think, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you wouldn't cool. see a, a Buffalo Sabres jersey in the Duluth area, but you <laughs> right. uh, made them popular. Cool. So we'll, we'll switch back to here to you, Bruce. So you're uh, at this point watching Derek through this process of playing. You coached against him. You were you were coaching at Hermantown and he's playing at Cloquet. That that must have been kind of a fun experience. Yeah, it was it was kind of weird. We were we lived in the same house together, and then we had to go to two different buses, you know, get, right? Get ourselves to the rink and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was it was really a uh, it was fun though because I could watch him play and uh, and uh, you know we, we competed pretty hard, but uh, Derek did it to us in the end. So uh, yeah, it was a weird 
the whole deal was different, you know. Proud in one hand, and damn, I wish I had him on my team in the other hand, you know. <laughs> right. It's it's, it's funny to say that have him on my team. Uh, all the years of coaching, because you coached Peewees and Bantams in, in the cloak area, but you never had this superstar on your team, and you never had uh, the, 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 the grandchildren on your team. Um, any regrets on not coaching him, or was it better just being a hockey dad? No, I have no regrets at all because uh, it's all turned out great for him because you know, he's had an awesome career and he, everything's went well for him. But I helped him along the way as far as uh, he's the kind of kid that you'd tell him, hey, you got to work on your backward skating, and he'd go to the rink and do it. you got to work on sh- shooting quicker, and he'd go to the rink and do it. You know, and He'd work on all those things. And so I got to coach him up that way with the individual stuff. Plus, I brought him to the Hermantown practices. I brought him to Bantam practices. You know, I, he was always on the rink with me when he would didn't have practice, and I was going to the rink. He would come and skate with our team. So he got a chance to play with better players when he was a little seven-year-old. So, I mean, it was good for him that way. And I never really wanted to coach him uh, as such, really, either on a team because, you know, the way things friction goes sometimes with all that kind of stuff. I know a lot of coaches that have coached their own kids and, Sometimes it's not the funnest thing to do. Derek, you've had a chance to coach. Uh, I'm not sure if you've coached Zam much at all. I know I know Max and now Victor last year a little bit at the Peewees. What's your viewpoint on, on coaching your own kids? Yeah, it's a it's 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 a slippery slope. I, I kind of take a lot from him and the fact that I try not to give them too much. And then you know if it's a conversation, sometimes like I, I'm coaching now. I'm not your dad <laughs> in some ways, right? Like yeah, because so, not everything is always positive when you're coaching. Like a lot of times it's. Can you correct this or correct that? And you know, I've tried to, I try not to give them too much. You know, there's a lot that we see as coaches that you could just be on them all the time. I just think that's not fair. Like, I, I think it's got to be on them, and they'll they kind of tell you how much they don't necessarily tell you, but they tell you by their body language and the way they talk how much they can take. And so, all three are a little bit different. And uh, I like some of it because I get to be on the bench with them and I can help them. But some of it's like, I don't want to have that conversation with them. But a lot of times when I would coach, I, you know, like Zam, I did with the Lake Spears Stars of the 04 group. And, it, you know, I was my first foray with that stuff. And uh, whenever there was something that I noticed, I would ha- I would tell the other coach and have him have the conversation with them. Right. So you, so, you entered and, and it, lightly, right? Yeah, I try to do it that way. And then, you know, now it's not always the same voice because it's a different voice at home. And not a huge fan of that. But it is fun to be on the bench and explain, you know, some of the stuff we've done with Max and Youth Hockey Hub stuff has been fantastic, and we've won some big games. And to, to be able to share that with him, at the, that's priceless too, right? And that whole group of 06s has been really great fun to be a part of, and that was with Max. So, you know, and then Victor's a little bit different. Victor's a different one because he can he can take a little bit more, like you almost have to get on him a little bit. And he can take it really well, and he just gets out there and goes after it. And where the other two sometimes take it a little bit more personal, so I know I can just I have to pick my spots, you know. So. Yeah, Victor's a different breed. I mean, <laughs> and he's a, he's got a, a ton of energy. And he's the kind of kid that, like you said, if you if you push him and push him, I think he's like kind of a harrier where you, uh, there's no point of yeah, point of no return with that. Thrives kid. on that more uh, sometimes. I think he does. All right, talk about being a hockey dad. Um, I had a good story about you were a social studies teacher to a certain kid, and the certain kid told me a story that you weren't happy with Derek's playing time, and he was mumbling. You were maybe mumbling yourself that Derek should maybe be getting more playing time in Buffalo. So it's even possible that the, the the greatest hockey coach of all time in the state of Minnesota, you, Bruce, could even get upset at, at another hockey coach. Oh, that's very easy because you know one thing about hockey? Everybody has an opinion, and uh, and the parents, you can triple that for sure, you know. So I know a lot about parents because I've watched them my whole life. And, uh, yeah, well, that, and that was backroom stuff too. So whoever's telling you was that was a backroom 
comp that was a back room thing gotcha in the they? locker room thing, yeah you know? i know it's supposed to stay there you know one of those deals supposed to stay there so somebody's ratting me out someone but, ratted you yeah out. anyway but anyways broke yeah that's, the, that's he broke the code there yeah. he did, he did. that's certainly too because I, I know i go to uh, <laughs> buffalo first and, and i go to the buffalo watch a game and and Derek gets scratched first time he's ever been scratched in his career and i'm there oh wow and i'm going where the hell is he and I'm looking out there. He's not out there. And I'm going, wow, this isn't good. Well, pretty soon he comes up behind me, taps me on the shoulder, and he sits down next to me. And I, Want some popcorn? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, I'm pissed off, you know. I mean, <laughs> I'm a dad, right? Yeah. I'm supposed to be that way. But yeah. And it wasn't like I went down to the locker room and punched somebody out or hit him with a shovel, like what's happened to me, you know. I've been kicked and hit with a shovel and punched in the face. And whoa, whoa, whoa. So, we'll get to that. <laughs> so I know a lot about p- how p- parents react sometimes. So and I knew not to do that, you know. And I thought this this healthy scratch story was going to be the good story. I want to get to the shovel story. How did you get hit with a shovel or kicked? <laughs> well, a woman kicked me, actually, right yep. in the shin. Is this and, after you cut it, her kid? No, or? no, no. I didn't play him in the first playoff game. Ah, I so, got it. So the other goalie played. Right. And he was going to act- actually end up playing because I had two about the same. Yeah, this was in you were the flip flop, right? Was in Bantams, yeah. So the other one was going to play the next night, and, uh, and but you know she just reacted and pissed off and came down <laughs> like I'm out of luck. She kicked me in the shit. Yeah. How about the shovel? What well, happened to the shovel? one of the guys, same deal. Parent, you know, came up behind me and hit me in the head with a shovel. I think he was going to kill me. Is what he was. What, what he, he said. He could have killed you. No, well, he tried to kill me, but you know there was other people around, so. It, Worked out all right. <laughs> well, this, wow, that's a life lesson. I've had I've had some of my uh, dastardly moments too as a hockey parent um, that I'm not proud of as well. So I'm not trying to just like lighten you guys up. So I'm just trying to say that I've done it too. Derek, have you had moments as a as a hockey dad yet? Or I know? mean, you're always you're up there talking, but I just know that I, most every other parent is in the same situation. So I'm able to calm myself down enough before you know. I don't know. I, I I'm pretty good that way. I think for the most part, you know, I, I I feel it and I can feel the intensity, but it doesn't usually go anywhere. I'm able to kind of thwart it before anything happens. Do you guys, either one of you, can answer this question? Uh, sometimes I can kind of see what's going to happen before it happens, and I don't. I'm not putting myself in your guys' class. So I'm like, oh, that's going to happen, and or this is going to happen. I was at a game once uh, at a North Dakota gopher game and there i go there's gonna be a line brawl at the end of this game and in the handshake line they should not have a handshake line my son's like 10 he's like what do you mean how do you know i'm like i just can feel it it's gonna happen and it happened right as a coach as you guys have seen so much hockey is it hard sometimes to bite your lip when you're hearing some hockey parents who can't see what's happening or not happening out there well first of all i want to say that like 85 percent of all the parents are great parents Right. And they do the right things, you know, or even 90% do the right things. I'm sure some of them are ticked off. They don't say anything, you know. But there's certain people that just can't do that. You know, they're more vocal and they're more aggressive and, and they just can't help themselves. So, uh, yeah, there's been times that I've seen it coming, uh, for sure. And there's probably times that we started it, you know, that, that we, we started the rowdy stuff. But uh, handshake line stuff, uh, we've had a few of those, but not very many. Right, because normally, normally kids calm down by the time you shake hands. You know, they might f you here and f you there, but they don't. They don't necessarily start throwing punches and whatnot. So, yeah, just any. It couldn't doesn't necessarily be a fight. Could it be just anything where you see it? You know, as as 
you know, you've seen, you studied film for, for UMD for five years. So you see things that are going to happen in a game and you, these parents can't see it or, or fans can't see it. And how do you control yourself when you, when, when this happens? Uh, it's out of your hands most of the time. Cause it's the emotion of the players on the ice, right? You're just hoping that you're hoping that the coach can recognize it. That's on the bench and say, Hey, don't do it. Right. I know you want to do it right now. Don't do it. Or right. in the other case, like, Hey, that guy's been cheap too many times tonight. Got Let him have it. It's probably not right, but that's sometimes the culture is, you know, and that's it keeps it. Like a lot of times, keeps it level. Sometimes is the ability to go out there and make a big hit or just kind of level the playing field for a second. <laughs> right, <laughs> right or wrong. <laughs> so, uh, Bruce, let's go to ask some questions about your your coaching years in, in Hermantown. But I think one of the best stories that I've learned in, in doing this research is uh, in 1989, um, you were, you know, potentially on the on the hook maybe to get the job at Cloquet, your ultimate dream job, and then end up not getting the job. And it, kind of the rest is history there. Or no, was it 80, what, 89? What year was it where you were going to get the job at, uh, at Cloquet and it didn't work out? Well, that was that was probably uh, somewhere in the '80s. I don't I don't remember exactly what years they are, but uh, I wasn't ever in line to get it. But I I know that was my goal to to, to get do that, that job. But I wasn't right? certainly never going to do anything uh, to get the job, but in, in, in any negative way because I love Bill Kennedy, who was the coach there. He was right. basically my mentor, and how I coached my whole life is kind of how he coached. And Derek, you had him as well. For yeah, you, yeah, right? he was, yeah, he was great. His, his whole game was just aggressive because you know when he first came we weren't as talented right so it was just all aggressive and that's kind of how we coached and played but anyways you know one of the I got hired there was one of the principals and and uh, he ended up being the superintendent in in the long run but uh, how things work I ended up cutting his kid <laughs> by <laughs> and he was he would have made the team the next year but he was a first year banner so he didn't make the team and then, right so he's a BA kid right yeah he's right in between yeah. there and he just didn't make it the first year he had to work on his skating a little more and and he did make it the next year but I I was gone then but anyways he uh all of a sudden, I'm all, I'm out of a job and <laughs> the next year when they did cutbacks I was I was cut so not that that had anything to do with it I don't even know but in my back of my mind it always was going. Is that why I got cut, or is this, or was it just the cut, 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 cut? Cut, cut as a teacher from yeah, the school yeah, system. Yeah, yeah well, was, they had teacher cutbacks going on because enrollment was going down dramatically. So every year, all the schools in Minnesota, what was happening to it. So I was a young teacher, so I, I made it through the first cut, and I didn't make it through the second cut. But anyways, that was that was part of that deal. And uh, That's kind of funny. I mean, you could have ended up being, end up taking on that head coaching job and at, at if that had not well, happened. A few years later, yeah, they, they – they got Bill out of there. Went, uh, it was a parent thing too. So right, it's Derek, another story. Growing up with a dad as a as a teacher, and, and you know, you're talking about these cuts. What was it like? You know, whether my dad was going to make the cut or not make the cut for church. Did that that, that have some trepidation on you? Nah, not really, because I didn't really even understand what that meant. <laughs> you really? know, at that time, I'm a young kid. I just went out and played baseball and rode my bike around, and he didn't, you know, he didn't carry it home. Saying, sat there talking about or worried about cutbacks or not. Um, I was kind of oblivious to all that stuff, to be honest. <laughs> so, but as a teacher, though, uh, was it was it different having a guy who's a dad as a teacher as opposed to a dad that's uh, working at the mill or working? Yeah, my mom worked at the mill, and he was a teacher, and I don't know that it was any different. You know, I, I, I thought there was advantages to it because he was coaching baseball and coaching hockey. Whatever team he coached, I'd go to all their practices and I'd, as much as I could. And you were the best. Extra ice time, yeah, right, for sure. And, you know, I'd, a lot of times when I was a younger age when he was a Bantam coach, I would st- used to have the – 
the extra nets sat right behind the uh, bench. Yeah. In Cloquet. I don't know. He was probably still a rack there. But he used to just sit up on that rack and just right over his shoulder the whole, you know, for, I don't know, 10 years. <laughs> Listen to what him. he's talking, watching, watching the players, watching the games. I was on the bench, I think, about every game I could have been. Well, I suppose uh, growing up with him, do, watching him coach baseball and, and hockey, what kind of things did you learn from him as a coach for you and your coaching career? Well, I think it's just the expectations I, that came with, you know, from him, and all this is kind of tied together, but is is the work ethic is the hugest part of it. You know, never quit, never give up, always just compete, compete and play and, and work. I think the biggest thing that we learned in Cloquet and same from him is just, be willing to work because that's – there was no other way. Like, if you in Cloquet wanted to play hockey, you had to work. That was Bill Kennedy. He just – that that was it. Yeah. You had to work hard and everything else to take care of itself. And so you're coaching. You find yourself in a coaching position at, at UMD. And uh, did you ever catch yourself uh, doing some – a Bruce thing or something that's kind of that, – that's what my dad would have said or my dad did. Did you ever catch yourself? <laughs> what, were, what, was, what was that one thing you kind of caught yourself doing? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, you know, I try to pattern myself after him in a lot of ways and, uh, you know, just trying to remember to be a teacher, right? Like, just don't tell a guy, go do this, right? Like, uh, he, he explained, like, you got to explain why, like, otherwise, what's the point, right? What's the point if you're not going to tell him a better way to do it? Don't just tell him not to do it or go do this. And, and so I try to remember that when I first got there is just to make sure that if I had a point to make, you better have a way to fix it, <laughs> right? you know, like, uh, in, in help those guys. Um, did but, you? Did you have guys at UMD that were were, were great listeners and, and, and you saw as a result, not just your coaching, but some of the influence from your dad and, and Sandy and those guys that really took their game to the next level as a result of you coaching them? There was some great – I mean, the year I got there, we won a national championship. So there was easy, obviously right? great players there, right? But I, I guess my favorite story would be uh, Jake Hendrickson, who was a really good player at Burnsville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I didn't watch a lot of that because I was still kind of playing, and I kind of moved into the coaching. And then when he got there, he was kind of not playing as much as he wanted. And so he he was you know, an engineer, so he was very, like, organized and detailed. And, you know, and so that for me was one of the fun fun coaching experiences I've ever had is that year is I go, well, you're not playing as much as you want. What can we do to make you better? You're a great skater. You're, you're strong. You're determined. You're strong. You're fast. Um so how can we make this work for you? You want to be a scorer. I go, well, that's not happening so far, right? And if you're on, not on the ice, you're probably not going to score a lot more, right? So let's find a way to be on the ice all the time. So he's like, well, how can I do that? I go, well, think of being like a Ken Lindman or just like this rat, this guy that's going to be in everybody's face. You probably be an no unbelievable penalty killer. He had no idea what Ken the rat Lindman Right, was right. Like, I explained enough, to him, right? I, you know, like be a def- let's, let's work on being a great defensive player, work on face-off. Let's work on all your face-off, be a great face-off guy. And he ended up being like our third-line center that, Sandy got so much confidence. I mean, he played as much as anybody else. He didn't score a ton, but he became one of our key guys to help win that championship that year. And, and just that process of having an impact with a kid and just helping him find a way to, to be really effective. Because a lot of kids come to those colleges, right, as scorers. They all come as scorers. Right. They were all great scorers, yeah. right? Well, then you got Jack Connolly, Mike Connolly, and Fontaine. And, like, that, that, that area of the hockey rink just dries up for a guy so we got to find a different way to play and you know that was that was a lot of fun for me that would probably been one of the best experiences as a coach to help watch a player develop and play sticking with the 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 umd coaching thing you know a lot of what you did i mean a big big line share what you did was recruiting what were some of the things when you were coaching when you were out recruiting what were some of the aspects of a player that you were looking for as a coach yeah for me like the first thing i do is like are they having an impact in the game because like 
you know, you want to see who the best player is on the ice. And so many different games you'll go to, and it's for a different reason. You know, some guys do it by scoring. Some guys get under your skin. Some guys just hammer people. <laughs> like, or something. They find a way to be effective in a game. And that's, that's usually a lot of times I'll go to a game if I don't know who's playing. I'll just kind of, like, blindly watch. Like, who's having – wow, who's that guy? Oh, 14. Who's that guy? Oh, 14 again. Like, by the end of the game, you're like, holy cow, let's watch 14 a little bit more. That, you know, that's how I look at a game. And then, obviously, really trying to be a smart player because I think real smart players, hockey IQ, we talk about that all the time, is – those guys are so coachable. You can put them as a first-line guy, and sometimes you can play a fourth-line role. They can play penalty kill because they cerebrally get the game and think the game the right way that maybe if they're not fast or they're not strong, they can find a way to make it work. So, I, uh, I, I relate to that, the 14 thing, because I, whenever I broadcast a game, the kid's name I keep calling over and over <laughs> and over. It ends up being the guy who is your 14, right? right and you just keep calling his name. He's got the puck. He's stirring up trouble. He's right. doing this, you know, the, the same kind of thing. Right. One of the guys that I broadcast, I think you had a hand in recruiting because they were recruiting so young back then was Scott Perunovich. What do you remember <laughs> about his game and the recruiting process with him? Yeah, that's not a hard one to recruit. He was probably the best player in every game he ever played in, right? But, but again, it was just the way he played the game and just the, cerebrally he was thinking all the time. And, you know, like there's some – like when you play, when you're way better than everybody else, you have some bad habits. And I guess the thing is like watching, like, can you get over those bad habits and be what you want them to be? And yeah. Or are they such bad habits that that's never going to happen? And sometimes you can get over that and sometimes you can't with him being a local guy and just how good he was. He obviously got over him and <laughs> glad, in glad, that, glad that you did, right? So, yeah, yeah, he's a fun one to watch. It was funny. Um, so, Bruce, let's go back to your career here. You had, obviously, you got it rolling. You really, after scouting in the NHL, you you, you taught full-time and, and scouted in the NHL. What was the scouting process like, and how did that scouting process help you become a better coach? Well, one of the things that really helped me doing that was you were <clears throat> pretty much zoned in on one guy. You know, it, it, 14 against the same yeah, guy, right? Yeah, exact deal. You, you would go to a game, and you're watching one guy. Maybe there's two or three some nights, but... For the most part, you're there to watch one guy, and uh, you watch that guy. And boy, did I learn a lot by doing that. How guys react to situations, how they play the game. You get to really get to know uh, what good players should be doing just by watching. You know, I learned a lot scouting. And then, of course, I got to scout and go to meetings with some Hall of Famers, you know, Bob Ganey and Bobby Clark and Les Jackson. A lot of these guys, they're just brilliant hockey minds, you know. And then I got to meet all the, those kinds of people. So there was a lot to it. But I, that's one of the biggest things I learned is just when you watch just that one guy. And it, t- it was hard to do because I'm used to watching a hockey game. <laughs> the whole thing. And you're yeah. a goalie, too. So you're yeah. when you grew up watching, you're watching it from the back end, right? Yeah, yeah. And you learn a lot as a goalie, too, yes. by the way. Yeah. Those are some of the smartest hockey people in, in the world. Are goalies. Just ask one, Oh, right? sure, yeah. 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 Just ask <laughs> a goalie, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're smart guys because they see that game in a different I'm way. I'm joking. I know what you're yeah, saying. No, though. I know you're joking. Patrick Waugh was a great coach. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're, they're brilliant because they see what should have <laughs> happened. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Derek's laughing, but they see what should have happened, and they've done this for twenty years before they become pros. I mean, they do this all the time, right? Yeah. So they see it. A lot of players on the bench, they're spitting and swearing and bitching at the ref, and they don't even watch the game a lot of times. But anyways, that's a different thing. But I learned a lot scouting, and uh, and uh, it was really a lot of fun. I I had to train myself to just watch one player than to watch the game. You know. It's, it's funny he says that because that was the, like the opposite for me when I went to Duluth because I was so trained on watching one guy. The recruiting part, you're watching one guy, watch one guy. Yeah. And then as a coach, 
you need to watch the whole thing. So the first period when you're coaching, you have to go up in the box and you have to tell Sandlin what what are they doing? What are they doing on the breakout? What are they doing on the forecheck? And that, for me, was really hard because I'm so used to watching one, one player. Guy. And as a player, you're kind of doing the same thing. You're thinking technically, but just the opposite of what he did. And that was my biggest learning obstacle. Yeah, when you're – so you're scouting. I want to talk one more question on the scouting. And just you, – you mentioned a few of those Hall of Famers like Bob Ganey. I mean, this guy, he had a legend – led a legendary charge. He played, played in, in uh, Montreal with, with those legends as well. Bobby Clark was – for me, Mike, you know, everyone loved Guy Lafleur. I'm like – you can have Guy Lafleur. Give me Bobby Clark any day. He just played the game so raw and so mean and so nasty and so smart. He was a great combination. He would have been a good Hermantown kid, Bobby Clark, wouldn't he? Yeah, you sure would have been. <laughs> <laughs> a great Hermantown guy. But walk through that. Just meeting, getting going to these meetings. You must have been, you know, you're usually the guy that's as the coach. You're giving out all the information and all that stuff. But you must have been like a sponge at this point. Oh, I was. I was so much so. Even like I worked uh, well, Minnesota Hockey School with. Chuck Grillo yep. runs. Yep, Gringo. And, and now Dino, you know, and I learned so much there too because a lot of coaches were coming in there and I'd be on the ice with them. So I got to learn a lot there. So that was that was really cool for me. I That was that was when I started to – one of the things I found out when I was at hockey school with Gringo and, the, and the, all the coaches is that I was doing a lot of things right. It was a confidence boost for me because I had been coaching in the seat of my pants, really. I'm just learning as I go. And, and I was young yet and, and I go – they had names for everything. I didn't have names for it, but, yeah, I do that. I've done that. There was drills I made up that they, they already had. but They had names for them, right? Yeah, they had names for it, and they did them. And so I, that was pretty cool. But then I, I go to the Stars. I went, I went to the draft. In fact, it was in Buffalo. I, I think it was like, I don't remember what year it was. But anyways, uh, I went to the draft, and then after the draft is over, you go up to the – they had uh, rooms up in the hotel there. All the teams did. Well, you know, I'm with Bob Ganey and Bob Clark, and, and these are all Hall of Famers, Les right? Les Jackson was there too, right? Yeah, Les, and, and, and he was great to me, Les was. A lot of the guys, Aunt Murray, who's coaching at Michigan now. Yeah. You know, uh, Michigan Tech, Tech or wherever. No, Northern, Northern Western Michigan. Michi- Western Michigan, yeah. yeah Western, Western Michigan. Western Michigan, yeah. He was a scout at that time, and uh, different guys. Anyways, all these guys would come see Ganey and Clark and, and I'm sitting with Scotty Bowman on a little two-person couch thing, and I'm sitting there with him, and I'm sitting there telling myself, I'm going, Christ, I'm sitting here with Scotty Bowman. <laughs> and he's just talking to me like everyday guy, you know. I'm just in the, hey, you're a scout. We're BSing for an hour, you know. He was just sitting there watching everything going on. He was kind of a background. And I was kind of in the background, you know. I was yeah. kind of staying out of the mainstream. And uh, I was just awesome. I, mean, I couldn't even sleep that night. I was like giddy, like a little kid, you know. It was amazing. But I got to meet all these big-time hockey guys because they all came to the suite, you know, with, with where the Hall of Famers were. So they all ended up there. So pretty cool. You said something, Bruce, and I'll have Derek go first to bring him back in here. But he said something just there. He goes, yeah, I'm sitting next to Scotty Bowman, <laughs> right? And he's talking to me like I'm everyday guy. Because why is that? Because Bruce was a hockey guy. <laughs> and hockey guys have this certain trust with one another that we're all in this together in the game, in this community. And now you're working with the Blackhawks. What is that like? Yeah. I'm sure you feel that too, or you kind of you probably get starstruck in certain minutes. Oh, there for sure. For the, for oh, the the, I mean, Scotty Bowman's amazing too, and sharp as attack. Like I've gotten to meet him a to couple this day, times. Right? Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of funny, you know. And uh, like last summer, Zam had, got to go to the, the select 15s out in Buffalo, and it was right after our Chicago development camp, and that's where that's where Scotty lives in Buffalo. So right. 
I told him I was going to go there, and he goes, ah, I might show up. You know, so I go, I'm at the Zam's game to watch him, the, the last game of the thing, because I only yep. have to watch one. And Scotty did show up. And I'm like, oh, would you mind just staying after to say hi to Zam or whatever? And he's like, of course, yeah, let's go downstairs. Let's talk a little. And then he stayed there for a half hour. Zam was the last one out of the locker. I'm like, come on, the one let's time. Go, come on, let's right? Go, it's like a right? Hall of Famer here. <laughs> Scotty Bowman's here. So it, what became funny is then Zam comes up, and he's the last one, and he's like, I'm really hungry. Can I get something to eat? I'm like, uh, Scotty Bowman's right here. Let's just have a little conversation. We'll grab something to eat. But like this, these kids sometimes. But then he realized, and he's like, oh, yeah. So he sat there, and he just – but he's smart as a tack, and he just – he just wants to talk hockey. Like, he's there watching the kids, learning the players. Yeah. He's learning the players, that, you know, and he doesn't really really have a particular job other than he loves hockey and he has input where he can, but it's it's not necessarily his job anymore. He just loves to be at the rink like, like other hockey guys. Talk about a true hockey guy. And, and that kind of speaks to it there. Like like you said, like, there's not a lot of guys, and, and this is just in my perception. Um, first time I met your dad, I was like, oh, I'm kind of nervous. That's the Bruce Plant. Like, <laughs> like he's like the man. I mean, he the legendary coach, won state championships. And uh, next thing I know, I'm like his best friend. And, and, and you did it to me, and you've probably done it to hundreds of others before. But what is it about hockey that makes people just immediately like each other in the game? Well, I think it starts with the love of the game. You know, we all love the game. Most everybody loves the game. The guys who don't love the game don't last. Because right. they're in it for the wrong reasons, you know. And uh, I think I think that's all it really is, you know. Like now us sitting here talking hockey, this is natural, this is easy. You yeah. Know? Even though you got a headphone on or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, kinda, and Johnny Cash playing <laughs> in yeah, here. Yeah, right? you got to kind of watch what you say a little more. But, <laughs> but on, in a normal back room, that's just how it is, you know. And guys that are bored with that, they leave. So, you know, other guys will stay there for Forever. Shit, forever. Yeah. Two, three the ho- hours. Yeah, the hockey Nothing culture like is great like that. I think guys yeah. just, they just want, or in for the, you know, you go to any coach's room along along the way, and if you start talking hockey, they don't care who you were. Yeah. Like, no, I go to college, I go to pro games, I talk to pro guys, and they all treat you great. They just, like, they want to talk. They're just normal guys. Right. They just happen to be in hockey, and I think it's the culture that's around. Like, nobody's better than anybody else, really. And that's, you know, and that's just that's, the culture, right? I think that's part of it, too. Like, you, you look at the greatest player in the game, right? Sidney Crosby's the same way. He has no ego. Mm-hmm. He, he's the guy that welcomes the fourth liner in and, and treats it that way. Like, and that's, it starts there, and it, and it ends there, too, I think. And you can see that. A lot, you know, you'll see it a lot of times with young players. They'll come in with an ego because they've been able to. Right. And they get beat out of them a little bit. I mean, they might still have an ego at some point. They all have an ego. Right. right. But it's, it becomes something different. It becomes matured ego, right? Or they know they're the man. Right. But they also learn that they have to be within the culture to fit. Earn so, their spot. Right. That's for sure. Let's talk about missing coaching because uh, n- neither one of your technically <laughs> a head coach right now are involved in coaching. Uh, Bruce, the, the big question, do you miss coaching? Do you miss being around the rink? Do you miss kind of having your hand in Hermantown hockey or any hockey for that matter? Oh, I miss it a lot. I mean, I miss coaching a lot. I, I love being on the rink with the kids. I love the games. Of course, that's where your adrenaline flows and you know you can get into it a little bit. Um, there's times, there's days I think, shit, I should never quit. I should, I could, cause I could still be coaching really, you know? And then there's other days I'm so damn tired. I'm going, Holy Christ, I'm glad I'm not coaching. So, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know? And, uh, but the, you know, the bus rides and all that, uh, that other stuff and uh, double A, single A bullshit all the time that I hear that wore me right out. You know, it just wore me right out. And, yeah, the double and, uh, A thing kind of knocked you out of coaching, not kept you into coaching, right? Well, in a way, you know, it was one of those things that I just don't want to deal with anymore. You know, yeah. I didn't want to deal with bus rides anymore. There were just things, you know, hockey things, you know, r- 
lesson plans or practice plans every day, you know, and having to come up with something and, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it gets wearing on you, you know, and I was, I was ready. I was ready. It was my time, and, and my assistant coach wanted to quit. And uh, Ike, Daryl Illicano, who yep. call him Ike, he was the head football coach here, and I'd been with him for 22 years, and he, he was my bodyguard, best friend, assistant coach. What a guy. Penalty killer coach, and, you know, just I loved him, and, and he wanted to get out the year before. And I go, You went out at 16, right? Yeah, so we won in the state championship, and we go, let's go for one more. Let's just one more. He was going to quit, and I, I, I kind of talked him out of it. Let's go one more year, I promise you. I'll go with you, and we can go out together. And that's what happened. We won, and we did go out together. And 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 I don't regret it. I'm not telling you that. You know, no, no, you know, no. I, I don't. I miss it. Of course, I miss parts of it. You know, but I don't regret it. I did the right thing. And with Patrick there, and all all five coaches there right now, all guys that played for me. Yeah. And I I love all five of those guys. They're great guys, and they're willing to give back to the kids. They're smart, and they work hard. And uh, you know they'll win their championships too if they keep working at it. I think that what 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 really appeals to me about Patrick and his crew they respect the game almost more than we do in some ways. They just they're they're just great uh, uh, stewards of the game. Yeah, for sure they are. And Patrick's always been that way. Buck's always been that way. Nathan Buck. Yep. And uh, they're just good guys. And yeah, you know Chad Huddles love the game. He played at UMD when Derek was there, and and uh, he's a very passionate player. Very passionate player. And then the two young guys, are they're in there to learn how to coach. Because there's a trick to learning how to coach. Yeah. And you can be the best hockey player in the world. doesn't make you a good coach. You know, there, there's there's things you need to know to be a good coach. And well, Pat was a pretty good hockey player in his day. Yes, he was. Um, talk about the the one one of the first times I met you, you talked, I, I asked if you were going to stick around to coach your grandchildren and your thoughts were like, I don't know if I can make it that long. Cause once you did one, once you had Zam, then you were going to have to go all the way down to Victor, who's three, four years younger. Or did, you, did that ever cross your mind of sticking around that long and coaching those guys? Cause they got a really good legacy coming up. Well, that, that was kind of what, what you just said is kind of how I thought at that time. Now what's happening to me is Sam's going to high school next year. Right. And I'm thinking, Jesus. I could be there coaching him, you know. So now I'm the other way. I'm the opposite way. God, and that's what makes me think I'm, I miss it, you know. Yeah. Maybe I can go back and ask Beth if I can have my job back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, no, I just, uh, no, I get to watch him, so that's good too. It's good you know, enough, I get to watch right? him, and I don't have any of that pressure on me. Because it's the same deal when I didn't coach Derek. It was kind of that deal where you get, you know, no matter how hard you want to coach your own kid, there's always going to be people just like that, you know. I've seen so many coaches with their kids, and and they just say, "Well, he's playing on a power play because because of his dad." Yeah, right? well, it's not true. I mean, he's, because he's the best player on your team, maybe <laughs> most times, you know. Yeah. But anyways, it, you know, I just uh, I, I would love to coach Sam for sure, but I think it's best I don't. You know, what were your thoughts on him retiring, or just up to him, or would you, yeah, were you kind of hoping a little bit that he'd stick around? I. Uh, Yes and no. I mean, it's completely up to him. I know, I know how much is invested. Like, it's it's every little decision. You know, the state tournament time wore him out a lot of times. Just all the things that go with that. Um, he's usually almost sick for a whole week after that. Like, just just exhausted, basically. Um, but if he is up for it, I'm up for it. I, either way, it's, it's great. You know, he's done a great job. It's, it's, it's his career, and he's touchable for me. <laughs> uh, how about this, Bruce? He, uh, Derek brought up your state tournament. You had so many 
trips down there, it almost became like a, a ritual of yours. There were very few years where you didn't go. Um, 2007, you were had an undefeated state championship. There's some other great years leading up to that, mind you, but that was the one where you, you talked that you talked about. I talked about that team to you, and your eyes just lights up. What was so special about that team? Well, they were. It was our first time to go right. to, for me, you know, to go to state tournament stuff. So, um, yeah, we did. Uh, it was nice. It was. It wasn't the first time we went to the state tournament. It was the first time we one. won won in the state tournament. Uh, that team has some really high end players. The top five, six were as good as anybody's in the state, and then we had a bunch of guys that just worked their bag off to do well, you know. And I, I just, you just love a team like that because, like Derek had said about hard workers, you know, the Hendrickson story, and that's what that's what we had. We had two lines of uh, hard working guys, and we had Drew LeBlanc centering the line with couple guys and Schmitty and uh, Joey Krause and they they just were and us all Drew was just great you know he was a great high school player and uh, and we could run a decent power play and uh, keep the game close we had a great goaltender and so that team was the first one to win it so that it's always one of those that you know because he always wanted to do it you know yeah and I'd coached for many years of course after we won the first one then I'm thinking, well, a lot of guys have won one you know <laughs> right so we got to win another one somehow and then we went those Six years in a row without winning up one. So before you get to six years in a row, you told me something earlier about that 07 team that was special. Where it wasn't like you beat everyone ten to nothing, thirty straight games. You had your life was on the line a few of those games to keep that thing undefeated. Oh, every game was close because we were we were we weren't real deep as far as scoring wise. Deep. If Drew didn't score, we didn't win. You know, or he didn't assist or whatever. Right. You know, he, he pretty much uh, was this straw that stirred the drink there for as far as scoring points and uh chad too and those guys were really good that way so uh, but a lot of close games i think there was some games there we pulled our goalie and and tied the game and then won. and i think there's five games that year we won in overtime you know so and uh, every one of them was when we pulled the goalie we were behind so there's a lot of close games but we won so many of them and uh won all of them actually yeah i mean there was a game against marshall that it's a tie game and we're in End of overtime, we pulled our goalie. <laughs> the game was tied, and we pulled our goalie. And because uh, we wanted to win the conference, we had never, you know, won, won the, the conference. Yeah, you so pulled the goalie tied in overtime? Yeah. <laughs> People thought I was crazy, but I asked the guys in the bench, and we took a time out. I said, hey, how about if we pull our goalie and see if we can win this game, then we'll win the conference? Because we were going to lose the conference. We had a tie in there. And uh, so, so we did pull our goalie. We never did score, but. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't against Marshall. Actually, it was against Cloquet. Huh. Yeah. I had a team wrong. It, it's at some point, you know, you lived here in Hermantown and coached here in Hermantown. Do your allegiance to Cloquet kind of go away? Because you grew up there, you, you lived there for so long, or is there still some strong allegiance to Cloquet? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, I knew Dave Essie real well. I knew McFarland a little bit through Derek. And, and of course, Bill Kennedy was my mentor and hero. So, yeah, I still have a lot of purple blood in me, but not you know not when it comes to blue blood. So right, you know we we do that one first, and then we pull for cloquet after. You know? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So uh, you mentioned the six straight losses there's in the state final. Well, I think when we first met, you were in that sick that that run of six, and you said it's almost impossible. You couldn't duplicate six straight runner up finishes. It's all it's like it's almost harder to do that than when 
to win six straight. Well, I know one thing. Nobody will ever do it with the same coach, I'll tell you that. Because <laughs> you'll either get run out or you'll, you'll – Or quit. Or you'll right? throw up every time you go to a tournament. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's painful. Let me tell you, it's really, really painful. I'm still scarred to this day, you know, for it. So, which, um, which scar is the deepest out of those losses? Well, of course, it's St. Thomas, you know. And uh, that one game where we had a got a penalty with less than a minute to go, our penalty, and and uh, we were on, they were on a power play, and he t- they tackled one of our guys and don't give him a penalty, and so that that was pretty pretty brutal, you know. It was like as bad as it gets as far as refereeing is concerned, and it doesn't get any worse than that. But we never got many breaks when we were in a state tournament. I tell you, no, he Northern, didn't. Northern teams don't get much for breaks down there, and we never did in most cases. Well, you almost had what was it in seventeen where they almost took the game away from you on the on the Sandalin goaltender interference. So it's it, it was I had flashbacks to the the bad call you're talking about against St. Thomas when they called the goaltender interference. Then I saw the call and I'm like, yeah, maybe. I, I didn't think it was enough to take the state championship away from you guys. What do you remember about that the interference, the Sandalin interference one? That was weird, man. That whole thing ended up weird. I didn't even see it. To tell you the truth, I didn't even see it. You didn't see it up on the board. On the on the well afterwards, after but we score the goal, yep. and everybody bails off the bench. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. we're out on the ice, and I'm thinking, crazy, we won. You know, we're all excited. Yeah, and then they say they're going to review it, and then they cancel it, and then it's like, what happened? I didn't even know what they were talking about. Yeah. Well, then they showed it, and I go, oh yeah, well, I don't think they had to call that, but they did. So what, what was hell? your recollection of that? Were you there at the game? I or? wasn't at that game. I was I was off somewhere else, and I think I was watching on TV somewhere. So <laughs> it was really weird. I mean, because, you know, I thought that they were the better team. So, you're, yeah. I'm always a big, like, if the better team hopefully gets the breaks and wins like, on those kind of things. You'd hate to lose a game if you're the better team. It's, it was a crazy game. I mean, there was a full lower bowl, and 90% of that bowl is cheering for Monticello in that game. It was <laughs> insanity. Um, I, I remember vividly running back to the press conference to, to get to the – because the championship we won, it was – everyone was like – it's not over yet. And I was like, some guy in the lobby stopped me. I'm like, what do you mean? I, ju- I just saw it. It's over. I'm, I'm running back <laughs> to develop my film. I'm, I'm ready to take care of that part. Of it. And so you go back and you go through it, you get the thing and you end up winning. The, the game in that tournament that really stands out was this, was the semifinal overtime game where, where Sandal and Ryan had probably the best, one of the best performances in the Hermantown history of what do, what are your recollections of what Ryan did in that game? Well, he he, he kind of carried us on that game uh, right on his back. You know, you know, you talk about a great player and and what they can do for you. He did what a great player can do for you. He took it upon himself to just do it because our guys were gassed. Yeah, well, they were sucking air, man, and we were in trouble, and we were in huge trouble. And uh, and he just sucked it up past belief, and he just willed himself to make it happen. And uh, if it wouldn't have been for him, we'd have never been in that championship game for sure because he was the one. He was. It was a special uh, performance by him. Walk through the Hermantown effect. We'll we'll call it that. Like, if you look on the high school hockey message board, there's literally an entire thread dedicated to Hermantown. (laughs) And I've never been in there because I don't want to go in there. I'm not a Hermantown hater. I I love what what, what happens here. I love the kids that play here. They're always super respectful, very hardworking kids. They kind of model you and Patrick to some degree, a little bit of each of you. but 
after you guys win in 16, I, I always joke, you guys win in 16, you had had six straight losses. You were the darling for about 45 minutes. And by the time you get on the bus to go back to Hermantown, everybody in the States doesn't like Hermantown. <laughs> and they should go to AA. And we're not going to talk too much about the AA thing, but what is it about Hermantown that people don't like? Well, it's just the winning. It's, you know, all people pull for the underdog. You know, so when we played anybody in a state tournament, they're the underdog, you know, right? So we're the, we're the big head cheese right now. And, uh, and that's just that. That's just human nature. I don't think it's anything personal to Hermantown as such. But, you know, some of it's that double-A thing. They think we should go double-A because we've been successful in single-A. And we continue to be successful in single-A. And the teams want us to get the hell out of there so they have a chance. Especially our section people want us to yeah, get Yeah, the, the Iron Range has such rich tradition yeah. of teams. You know, the Virginias and the Hibbings and... And in Denfeld, these teams are really nice little hockey players, but they have a roadblock, and you guys are the roadblock. What are your thoughts on the whole Hermantown double-A? We've talked about this yeah. off-air probably for hours, Derek, and just give us the, the shortened version of your opinion. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 a weird topic, right? Like, I, I love a huge challenge in myself. Like, if I had a chance, I'd, I'd want to take the hardest challenge. But I think when you look at a program, your program is in trying to develop as many kids – to keep playing as possible. That is the goal. That's of the what program, I would think right? the program is. And like to if you play took a USA long hockey, as you can. You long as you can, as many kids as you can get playing. Division three, division Whatever. one, right? Minor good, hockey, good experience, pro hockey, all the way up. I mean, right. you've, you've definitely school. done that. High, high school, school hockey, right. right? Yeah, to be your high school. Starting team, at high right? school, and then can they move to division three? Can they move? Right, to division or, yeah. one? Can they move moving those kids on is, is always part of it, but having that good high school team. So, in a lot of ways, that program successful, and so it's always like well, what do you change that makes the slippery slope that makes it not that way? You know, what happens when you don't have 60 kids every year trying out, or not trying out, but starting at might level? 60 don't in know. one age group. Or yeah, I mean, basically, Pretty that's the number, right? small town for right. 60 hockey players. Right, and that's, you know, does that become the hype, or is that just because of the group? You know, if we went double A, would we have the 60? You don't know until you try it. Yeah. And so it comes down to, to me, the schedule's basically the same. You have a double A schedule for the most part. It's at the end, and so it's... I don't know. I mean, there's a case because it's been a literally successful program and some of the games probably wish were closer, but at the end of the day, what is the goal? I think the goal has always been to produce as many good hockey players as you can. Have 60 kids start every year and keep that program going. I think that's kind of been the goal of it. And it's fun to watch. I mean, you see kids like like, like um, all of them. I mean, you get Kepke now. I mean, it seems like every year – there's a, another Bruce Plant or Pat Andrews, you know, kid who's moving on to play for UMD or going to go play college hockey. And I think a lot of that starts back at the warming house with yeah. the four rinks. It starts with all that, but it's become a culture, right? And there's an expectation that goes with all that. Like winnings, it's okay to win. It's okay to push yourself to win. It's okay to be held accountable to work hard. It, you know, that's all part of the concept of Hermantown hockey. Like this is what we are. This is what we want it to be. We think these are good productive things to be a good person and a good hockey player. And I think it's shown that it has worked. So. I got a good story for you. Last year, you guys weren't involved with the Squirt A team, and they had they took a tough loss in the first round of the Squirtacular, the second round of the Squirtacular. And they were so upset that the head, the coaching staff for the Squirt A team was like, well, we have higher standards. It's exactly right. what it's worth. We have higher standards for our kids. And, you know, they're 9, 10-year-old kids, but Bruce is smiling right now. Like, <laughs> there is a standard here at Hermantown. And normally I kind of walk away from those Squirt A coaches kind of shaking my head like, dude, chill out. It's Squirts. It's not that big deal. But what I look, my takeaway was that they have 
you've set a high enough bar here for kids that they want to reach to that to that level. Yeah, and if someone takes that too far, then you got to address it. And you know, like it's not win at all costs. It's not no, that at all. It's that. building they, the culture. They, they of, just wanted to. It's win. important to win. It's important to try to win. We don't do it at the expense of a whole bunch of other people to do it. Right? It's it's building people, but there should be an expectation that we're going to try to win. But to do that is play the right way and work your butt off. Well, they ended up turning around and doing pretty well. Uh, Let's talk about uh, coaching peewees and coaching at a higher level because you guys have both (laughs) coached at peewees. Derek coached peewees this year. Bruce, you coached at peewees at at, uh, Cloquet and and Bantams, youth hockey. For the lack of a term, we got minor hockey and then coaching at the higher level. You'd be considered high school hockey, midget hockey, and you've coached just this past year at AHL. Is there a big difference between coaching a peewee and coaching a kid in the AHL? (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah. Yes and no, right? I mean, obviously the skill level is like a million times different, but the concepts of the game, it, it's funny because I would, this this past year in my job, I'm able to be on the bench with a peewee game on a Thursday and then on a Friday or Saturday be Friday on the ice and practice with the HL team and then a game on, on Saturday. Uh, obviously the pace is incredibly different. It takes and it me a takes period, to get, to catch up, me a period for sure to catch up to this pace because it's so fast. But then I literally seems like I'll have the same conversation with a PV kid as I'll have with an AHL kid. Well, it's just simple stuff of trying to get the puck past the blue line or whatever. But they're still dealing with a lot of the same situations, <laughs> just at a much higher and faster level. So it's it's an interesting thing. And and those great players probably were great in peewees. Maybe didn't learn that then because they could get away with doing a lot of different things. So now they're learning a little bit later, <laughs> so they can get to the NHL level. Did you ever? Was it an aha moment when it happened? Like. I just said this exact <laughs> same thing four days ago at a peewee game or a peewee practice. Yeah, and it's probably not so good to bring up to the AHL guy that I just told that to my peewee last week. But <laughs> <laughs> probably um, not. But you know, who is this guy, right? Bruce, did you have moments like that where, like, these are concepts that we taught in peewees and people aren't grasping it at high school? Or or was there something in, in peewees that you learned as a coach that you brought even into the high school level? Well, one thing I learned when I was a peewee coach is I coached too hard. You know, I coached them too hard. I was, my expectations were too high. I, I was trying to, you know, make make things happen by being a hard coach, you know. Right. And push work ethic and all that kind of stuff rather than teach. And I think I learned there that, you know, after that, that I had to teach. And that's one of the things I think about coaching is you have to learn as you go. You always have to learn as you go. There's things that I did that I go, I'm never doing that again. And then, you know, man, I was just like, oh, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not right. going to do that again. And in high school, same thing. I did some things that I, I wished I hadn't done, and then I go, oh, I'm never going to do that again. Well, you kind of fine-tune yourself as you go. But basically the hockey part of it, you know, what you, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching trust. You're teaching hard work. You're teaching compete, you know, your compassion. You know, care for each other, that whole thing. And it's all the same at AHL, NHL squirts. You know, care right. about each other, work hard, have fun together, make sure you're having fun. Even pro, you talk to pro guys, they're, they want to have fun playing the game. There's a lot of pressure on them, and there's a lot of things going on there that they're getting paid to be good. But uh, the game is still meant to be fun, and no matter how you do it. So all of those kinds of things are true at any level, you know, maybe at different different degrees but right. it's all pretty much the same stuff 
One of the descriptions, I've, I've told Derek this and maybe you too to some degree, is uh, I hung out with you for a few hours, a couple different shifts uh, a few summers back. And, and one of the things I t- my takeaway about Bruce Plan, and it's a very special gift that you have, is you're kind of a, a big brother in some ways. You're kind of needling your guys and having some fun with them, like, kind of locker room, like the big brother who came back from, from, uh, from college kind of guy. And then I see you kind of as a father figure as well when you're, when you're working with players. Is this something that you had – early on as a gift or is this something that you uh, developed and was made you a successful coach later on you know I, I just think that's how I've always been it's kind of my basic personality but I want to have a I want to have a uh, relationship with everybody you know whether the best player or the worst player because everybody has something to learn and get better at or or enjoy so um, that's part of the big deal with me coaching is the relationships that was the hardest thing for me when I left was I'm I don't have these relationships now, you know, with my right. assistant coaches, with all the other coaches that I coach against, and then all these great players that I've got. That, you know, some of them are great players and end up playing college and pro, but other ones, that's it. Their senior year was their year, man. That was their thing. That was they knew they weren't going to play anymore. That was their deal. That was their Stanley Cup. That was their big deal, senior year, and we we kind of. In Kermittown, because we have small numbers, it's senior down. You know, seniors first, if you, then juniors, then sophomores. You know, you know, and it, we we had a saying. You know, seniors lead, juniors follow, and sophomores keep your mouth shut. You know, and that was that was our deal, and that's kind of worked, and everybody got it. You know, and then when they got to be juniors, they got to say a few things. When they're seniors, they led. I gave everything to the seniors as far as leadership. Now you hope you have you hope you have good leaders, but we've been fortunate in Hermanson. We've had great kids. And our leaders have been very good. In those six years, if we go back to the six years again, you probably had a lot of seniors in those locker rooms. Did you get good at consoling those seniors, knowing it was their last game and they just lost a heartbreaker? You know, there's a lot of talk about my my interviews after that game. That yeah, championship legendary. Yeah. Always been a lot of talk about that. But you know what happens after that game? You lose that game in overtime, or you lose that game by goal. And in some of those years, we played the best game we could play. It was the best game we ever played that year. Yeah. It's as good as we can play. And we still didn't win. So you go into the locker room, well, shit, there's kids laying all over. They're balling like little babies, you know. They're just balling, shit throwing all over the place. They're just, they're just hurting, man. They yeah. are hurting. And you're trying to, and you don't go pick them up and tell them, you just got to let them go through that. Yeah, and you probably take a, on a lot of that pain yourself, and then you got to go walk four minutes later into the press conference. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in tears. You see all these kids just <laughs> balling, you know. And then, of course, then what happens to you? You start, I'm sensitive, yeah. right? I'm sensitive. So I start balling, and pretty soon I'm marching down into the <laughs> media room, and I'm supposed to be nice, you know. Yeah. Well, what the hell? Didn't work out. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, you lose. You lose. What the hell? Yeah. Some of those games are just heartbreaking, you know? Yeah, they are. Exhausting. Uh, you guys have uh, – Scott Sandlin lives in Hermantown. You guys both know him very well. He's had a ton of success, uh, won two national championships in the last two years, could have won a third one again here. Um, what makes Sandy such a great coach? You want to go first, Derek? You sure. coached yeah, with yeah. him and you watched yeah. him too. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. He's – He's got a couple things that are, I think are, are are different than everybody else or are special. Like he's one, he's a savant when it comes to drills. It's unbelievable how many drills he has in his head. Like he just remembers every one of the details and it's like like, okay, let's do a two on one and I'm like, Oh, I got a good one. 
He's got 50. He's like, well, we could do this one. And I'm like, yeah, we could do that one or that one or that one or that one or that one. So it's in some ways menacing. Like I can't imagine what's going on up there sometimes. But um, the other part is like he's he, he is he's got a way, right? So the way you're going to practice, that's how it's going to be every day. And he doesn't really waver on that. Like the, the level of practice has to be almost like a perfectionist every day. Like practice has to be perfect, but then the kids have to run it almost perfect, right? So he doesn't let them off the hook. Like, there's leeway, obviously. He, right. Otherwise, you'd be out there all the time if you wanted to make the drill perfect. But in a lot of ways, he keeps the tension high. And he's kind of a bigger, stronger guy. Yeah. So there's a there's a legitimate intimidation to when he gets upset. Because you can see it building, and he's, he's a, but it, it keeps the level of practice. So if you think about that over a whole season and a whole year, the level of their play doesn't depend on other teams or anybody else. It depends on what his expectations are for those players. Um, and one other thing I think he does really special is, like, a kid didn't play a lot the first year as a freshman or whatever year. Yeah. The next year, it's like they come in on a completely different slate. And, you know, hear a lot of people like, oh, he's, he's ruined. He's never going to play. But every year he comes and gives that kid this as much a chance as he did. Like, we recruited him. We got to let him try to see what he did this summer and let him play. Like, he gives them a legitimate chance to make the lineup and play wherever they should play. It doesn't always work, but I think those two things, and then it, it gravitates, and I think now they've gotten that instilled in all the older kids, or the kids that have been there for enough, that it, that's the culture that's there with the other players, so he doesn't have to be as gruff as he was at one point. What's right? he like What's he like in-game? When you coached with him and, or, and you watch him, what type of adjustments, what's he good at spotting? Is it is it more his kids, or is it or is it systems from the other team? Both, both, both. He's, he, he really probably focuses on the system part a lot. What's working, what's right, not, but he, right? But he, he, for the five years I was there, he didn't change a ton. <laughs> as much as we would talk about changing a lot of stuff in-game, yeah. he didn't change a ton. Um, you know, he just he would push the right buttons on the right kids playing, that kind of stuff, and putting the right kids with the right people and, you know, make sure who's playing. Like any other team, it's <laughs> who's playing in that fourth line is always a huge conversation, but he's, he's good at managing that on the bench and, and not blowing his cool, like losing it when he should, and then, but right. also staying calm when he has the good feel on the bench of when, hey, we need these calls to be calm right now. Like, I need to be calm, otherwise We're gonna everything's going to go crazy, right? And right. everybody's going to fall apart. But So, I mean, that's just that's probably why he's been good and successful in big situations because he's been able to kind of navigate when to be upset and when not to be upset and kind of keep the calm. And What's your take? You know, he, 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 his son played for you. You've seen a lot of your players – go on to UMD and have a ton of success, especially the last 10 years. Uh, what's your take on Coach Sandlin? Well, I, I just think he's a great coach, but that's from the outside looking in. He, Derek, right. Derek talked about the inside looking out, you know. Yep. I'm on the outside. So Scott and I haven't talked a lot of hockey that way, you know, mm -hmm. and then, partly because what you said, we had he had players there. I'd ask him how he's doing, you know, stuff like that. But we didn't get into a lot of the X and those things. We, we, we never really did. But one thing I can tell you is he was a great hockey dad. We had Ryan come to us, and you know, he's totally supportive of all those kids. He was great with all those. He had coached some of those kids in the summer, and that right, you know, some of that that group of kids, Samberg and him, and and Kepke and Amit and all those guys, kind of, you know. So, anyways, but he was a great hockey dad. Um, he never once did anything weird or did it make you nervous that this Division One coach is standing right there, maybe looking at the way you're coaching the team? No. Not by the time I met Scott. I was too old and too, you know. Curmudgeon yeah, well, by then? Yeah. I didn't give a shit anymore, really, <laughs> a lot of times what people thought. But anyways, he was great that way because we played Ryan on defense. 
the first year as a sophomore because yep. we needed a player there, and he'd played some defense in yeah, Bantams. Yeah, I saw him run power play on defense in, in Bantams for sure. Yeah, and he, and, but he wanted to be a forward. I said, God, can you do it this year? You know, so we, it was a relationship-building thing, him and I. Yeah. And, and Scott stayed out of that whole thing. He just, he just said, hey, whatever you, wherever you need him, whatever you want to do. So Scott stayed out of that, or I'm sure he told, probably, probably told his son to go, hey, do what the coach says. It's probably what he told him. Said, yeah. That's my guess because he came back and said, okay, I'll do it. And he did it. I promised him he'd play forward the next year. And the coaches don't make many promises, you know. You right? don't like to, right? No, you don't. You don't because you could. But you kind of saw what he was going to bring to offensive production down the road for two years too. Well, I like to put players where they want to play. Yeah. Because part of what we do is kids are there. They want to have, have fun too. Not everybody gets their wish, but your better players certainly get their wish, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so anyways, I promised him that. Well, then Scott was the whole deal. And then he played the next two years at Ford and did a great job. And and uh, and he Scott was and his, and his wife, Wendy, was uh, they were just. Great hockey parents to have around. That, in fact, that whole group of parents was it right. our last two years. That those, dream, isn't it? Yeah, they were they were great. I never had one problem. No, nothing ever, ever. They were just good people, and backed us really well. And Scott was part of that. I think quietly training those people along yeah. the way. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and uh, and others in there. Another a bunch of good guys in that group. But that group came up together, and I think I think they solved their issues before they ever got to us. And, they were great, and Scott was a big part of that. And so I know him more as in that way. Yeah, you know, as a as a hockey dad. Ryan is the kind of kid I I got a chance to interview him for uh, speaking of Player of the Year awards. He was a finalist for a Player of the Year award his senior year, and got a chance. I come up; it's almost like an annual tradition. I come up and you know see Mister Huddle, and you know in the um, at the rink, and we do the interview, and and um, and so I had Ryan for you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. And, and next thing you know, he's standing there talking to me and we're talking about girls hockey. And then we're talking about squirt hockey. And then we're talking about high school hockey and we're talking about college hockey. And, and next thing I know, I'm, I was supposed to be home, you know, in two and a half hours. My wife's like, where are you? I'm like, well, I ran into this kid named Ryan Sandlin and we talked for hockey for two hours or an hour and 45 minutes. And he was such an enjoyable kid to talk to and really fun. You know, and he, he knew all, he was like, Tony Scott Jr., you know, he knew yeah. everything about the game and he was really excited about it. And my takeaway was not only is Ryan going to be successful, whatever he does, but I really think I have a sneaking suspicion it's going to be in the hockey field. Well, yeah, he, and he's great with adults. Even when he was a kid, he was great with adults. And uh, I mean, Wendy told me a story one time about him. That's his mother that he used to do interviews when he was like four or five years old in the basement. You know, she'd have to interview, get be interviewed and stuff like this. So I go, so he's been on this track for, for a long time. I he's swear. been waiting for that interview for 13 years, <laughs> yeah, hadn't he? Yeah, yeah, So I swear to God, he's going to be a t- coach. He's going to probably be an agent, you know, making a million dollars here and there, you know. Yeah. Good hockey guys. But, yeah, he's real, he's very smart. Yeah. Probably like like their whole family is really smart. So he, he uh, and he's good with adults. And he, he loves hockey. You know, he's just one of those guys that loves hockey. He'll, he's the same thing in the, lock, in the locker room. I mean, he's on the way home, and he'll stop and talk. And an hour later, we're st- I'm crazy. I'm supposed to be home. <laughs> we're still talking. He's hockey. a nice kid, too. It's oh, not like, great. you know, he's, he's not hanging on. He's great. You had a lot of good kids over the years coaching, you know, Patrick Andrews' special place in your heart and Johnny Francisco. And a lot of these guys, you know, we saw him pull up here at the house here today and who are some of those guys that just, you know, they warm your heart when you hear their name or you see them at the rink and, you know, you just have so many great kids that you've coached. Who are some that you just, when you think of, really get you jazzed up? Just some, uh, 
is how, how they're doing. You know, I wouldn't even want to start naming. Right, them because, I'll name them for you. Right? Yeah, no. Well, there's 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 probably 400 kids that that I love. You know, they're just great kids. A lot of them are not name players or correct. Any of that. I mean, I've had third line right wings that I just thought they were the greatest thing ever. We had a kid that won the draw in that last game I ever coached. We won in overtime. He's the hardest working kid I've ever coached, I think. And he was fearless. He was just a little shit, and he was just fearless. Yeah. I mean, you love all these guys. You know, I mean, you you just you just do, and uh, you start singling out guys. You know, no, it's, it's really it's hard. Tougher. For me, it's 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 next to impossible because there's there's too many kids that I just it's enjoy too. Being it's around. so many years of coaching. It's it's, it's definitely harder. Yeah. Uh, Derek, any thoughts on on this this whole Hermantown next the, the 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 next wave here in Hermantown? It's you're right in the middle of it. You have Max, who's a who's an eighth grader, and Zam who's a ninth grader, and a lot of really good hockey players. They're they're competing at the double A level. They they had a legitimate chance of winning. They were runner ups as Pee Wee's and had a legitimate chance of winning again this year. Year, won a lot of tournaments this yeah. year. Yeah, that Bantam team is, you know, I felt real bad for them with this COVID. Yeah, I mean, yeah. COVID thing's obviously bigger than all of this, but, you know, they had that chance. And, you know, a lot of teams will go to the state tournament and be super excited to get there, right? And, and the whole different feel for them was their whole thought this year was to try to win it because they knew they had the team and they played the you know, their top teams in, in the state good. I mean, they, you know, they, so that they had a legitimate chance this year. So I felt real bad for those kids to not get that opportunity. But, that group of kids, you know, is is really competitive with each other, and it's been kind of fun to watch them grow. There's been a lot of kids in those three groups for sure with Zam, Max, and the, the year younger that, you know, when it's practice time, they battle so hard. Yeah. And you're like, oh, they're just going to start fighting, and then they, then they practice over and they're all hugging. Like, it's, they just love that compete factor. So, I mean, that bodes really well for those those kids. And, you know, I don't know where it goes. It's so hard when they're young kids because kids mature at different ages and some mature better and some – you know, they all put their time in. They work like crazy. Um, but we'll see how good they are when it comes time to play high school hockey. Well, I'm pretty excited about watching it. Uh, Grandpa Bruce, are you excited to watch the uh, future of, of Hermantown? You've, you've helped build this program to what it is today. Or you, you have to be excited to watch these kids in the next five years and, and to have your fingerprints both on it as a program builder and as a grandpa. Well, yeah, it's really neat being a grandpa watching the kids play because all three of them are pretty good. So that that's that makes it a little easier, you know, when they're pretty good. Way they're easier. Not, they're not struggling or they're quitting or any of that kind of stuff. So they're they're pretty good. But yeah, I've seen the program grows from the beginning when we were an outdoor rink, and and I've been through this. I've been here that whole time, so I've seen the program and the culture that we have now is is awesome. And these kids are no different, you know. They they they're there, and uh, you know they want to compete at the best they can, and and uh, you know, we're a small program. We only get 35 kids out, 36, 7, 8 kids out for the team. Every year. High school team. I'm high talking. school, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, not all of those kids are going to be good, you know. So some of them are going to be varsity guys, and some of them are not going to be varsity guys. And that's just how it is, you know. So every other kid in Hermantown has to be a good player, <laughs> good enough player to play high school hockey. Yeah. Whereas some of the huge programs, you know, what, every 10th kid has to be good enough to play on a high school team. So yeah, that's there's true. a great opportunity here for kids, you know, even if they're on a, a – a, average player and they can become better and i think kids know that there's a lot of value in a third line right wing right in high school hockey just as not as much probably as your first line center but you got to have that guy too to uh, compete against other teams third lines and so it's a small program it's always dicey and then to come up with four defensemen that's a trick it's the hard part isn't <laughs> that's it? A, that's a real trick when a small school like this come up with four quality defensemen and uh, I was the same way in Cloquet when I was there. And we, I think, just 
One thing I think about the single A, double A thing is, I think some of these double A teams that can't do anything should come down and play single A. That would make the tournament and the whole thing stronger, better. Yeah. Some of the teams haven't been to a state tournament in 25 years. Should move down. Or they go to a state tournament and get beat two and out, they're gone. And, yeah. Uh, so what fun is that? But that's a whole different thing. But I know Hermantown's culture is, is really good, and all these kids want to win. Even the kids that aren't that good, they still feel they have a chance to play yeah. somewhere. I got to at least be the best third line right wing. You know, there's three other guys that want that spot, but I got to beat those other two guys out. So, you know, that's kind of how that, that evolves and that compete level is good. That's our bell right there. I think we're going to call the show right there. <laughs> uh, we could go on and on and on. We, we joked about having two sessions with you guys because there's just so much subject matter to talk to, but we kind of running out of time and I got to get back to the Twin Cities, but I appreciate your guys' time. Derek and Bruce Plant on the Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Here we go. <laughs> Johnny. Are we done?